0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 15 of Rice Spear Radio. For anyone new to the show, we are a podcast that focuses on all things local government. I'm your host, Nathan Spear, the managing partner of Rice Spear Lawyers. We're a dedicated local government law firm helping councils make enduring decisions all over New Zealand. In this episode, we finish Helen Rice's interview with Head of Building Consenting and other specialties at Christchurch City Council, Robert Wright. If you haven't listened to part one of the interview, don't worry, we'll wait, go back and find last month's episode. It really will make a lot more sense. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast it really does help us get the word out and a final big thank you to our sponsor Maynard Marks you can find out more at maynardmarks.co.nz from a level four lockdown in Auckland and without further ado here's part two of Helen and Buster's conversation direct from Christchurch stay safe out there.
1: Buster, the passive fire defects, uh, the new defects that I'm seeing in the building defect claims, and I appreciate that councils are not clerks of work. Councils require uh, paperwork from the installers and the supervisors, and the High Court's made it very clear that the council can't simply collect those pieces of paper and be satisfied on reasonable grounds. The council must scrutinise the paperwork, consider the paperwork, and document it to ensure that the grounds upon which the council is satisfied, um, you know, meet the building code. So talk to me about that. How, how do you go through that process of scrutinizing the paperwork, vis-a-vis fire defects or structural?
2: So um, w- once again it's about gathering information f- uh, um, about the competence of the people doing the work. It's fairly easy to specify the right thing the, the difficulty for me is um, carrying out the work and it's got to be about the competence of the people doing the work so um, you know I'm, I'm happy the competence of the inspectors is, uh, is, is testable and passable because uh, I've got all of those results and put the effort into making sure that they are there but the inspectors can't be on the site um, for the amount of time to get the degree of satisfaction that um, that we need, so we have to be able to rely on something else. Um, and the competence of the people doing the work. I mean, to me, in our in our society and in our world, the people who are te- examined and tested and to be and determined to be competent. Um, if we make sure that those that it's those people who are doing the work, then surely we're exercising our duty of care and i suppose um you know once again it's all well and good to um point out a deficiency in a, a particular penetration but whether or not would fail under a, a, an, an actual fire situation is the only time it's going to get it's the only time it's going to get tested mm-hmm. and that that is i agree it's too risky to test mm-hmm. it then but it can be a wee bit subjective, and I, I suppose that's when it's um, you know, it comes down to to, to people like you who uh, who lead in this area of of um, examining, you know, reasonable grounds and duty of care. And I, I think um, for me, we need to make sure, from a local authority's perspective, that it is only um, reasonable ground, not beyond all reasonable doubt, that is getting tested because that. As you all know, they're two completely different tests, and it seems to me that we're getting pillowed by the latter um, in some cases. Mm,
1: yeah. But that, And that's a really good point. It isn't beyond reasonable doubt. However, reasonable grounds, sometimes I have to say, the paperwork that we see in the claims is sloppy. Uh, the paperwork is incomplete. It has incorrect building consent numbers. Now, those are not deal-breakers. That's not going to land the council. Um, in in um, you know responsible however it's you're, you're painting a picture to the judge you're painting um, you know a picture of reasonableness and absent inspection records on a producer's statement um, you know that's really unhelpful when it comes to defender counsel so making sure it's a tidy package that's received and reject it if it isn't reject yeah. it yeah. You know, I, I know there's a tension in councils where you want to get the you know there's the pressure from the public to get it across the line as quickly as possible, complete the process. On the other hand, the council must push back if it's not satisfied with the paperwork it receives.
2: Yeah, look, totally agree, and I, I think most councils are, are used to being in that p- position. And, can um, depend on what angle they get pillared from but um, you know before you arrived this morning i was reading uh, the master builders magazine and see that um, 11 complaints have been made to the institute of architects by councils by local authorities on how architects have responded to requests from from local authorities for information which i think is fantastic You know, um, a professional body like that shouldn't um, uh, um, be putting the council in a position where they have to make complaints to their registration body on um, their behaviour. That's a ridiculous situation to be in.
1: Well, the council's a gatekeeper and the buck stops with the council. Um, And it has an onerous obligation under the Building Act, and uh, it has, you know, when it steps up and it does it right, um, happy days. Yeah, yeah. So, speaking of happy days, um, your team—how many? How many actually are in your team that you're managing?
2: Um, The the team um, when I took over, uh, we um, in 2016 um, was about 185. Um, with quite a, a, a large contingent of um, contractors and um, BCA consultants and what have you. So, um, but as the the rebuild has has wound down and we've got back to business as usual, we're probably um, a consenting unit of around 135, and we have um, some um, some support teams. Um, uh, that help with um, accreditation and um, a team that deals with exemptions and public advice or what have you so there's uh, probably another uh, another um, 40 odd f- people in, in those teams as well
1: And what would be the male-female ratio let's say of that 175 team that's, that sits with you in your
2: oh, I would probably have to be close to 60-40
1: Sixty female.
2: Um, unfortunately, not.
1: <laughs> not too bad, though. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, what I, what I find more interesting, though, Helen, yes. is. Um,
1: I know I'm in trouble now when you say my name, Buster. <laughs>
2: <laughs> what I find more interesting is the uh, the uh, qualifications. So I think uh, um, when when I. Um, arrived at the council 2014 1314 to look at um, getting the reaccreditation sorted out. Um, the qualification level the staff here was around probably 30 percent had a level six qualification or above um, So that, that would have been about the time if you recall this regulation 18. Mm-hmm sort of kicking in, and, and council had to either, you know, get staff with a, um, a minimum qualification, which is around that, or that at that level six or above, and um, uh, or have a reason for them not having it. Um, I think now our um, level six and above um, ratio is about 98% of technical staff.
1: Oh, and how did that 63% increase come
2: about? So we, we, we um, well, a couple of ways. One, we run um, with NZ um, a SkillsNZ, uh, program to get and recognise the um, previous learning of, uh, of a lot of people, particularly around the, the inspection side, but not just the inspection side, um, to, to, to get them awarded a diploma. So um, they did a lot of uh, work uh, in house at um, at you know recording and recognising their um, their their learnings and what have you, and, and were able to be awarded um, a qualification. Um, and that was a hell of an effort from our training team to be able to help those people um, through that. Um, the, the, the training team did an absolutely magnificent job at breaking down the pathway, the unit standards, and how that information was put together. I can remember um, one, uh, one chap who would have been about um, 64 um, said to me that uh, if one of the particular trainers had been a school teacher, he would have ended up being a lawyer. So <laughs> lucky for you. That, that guy wasn't about, and he ended up being a builder. But, um, yeah, so they did a heck of a job, but also recruiting. I, I mean, I, I can't think of the last time we took somebody on who didn't have a degree qualification. Mm-hmm. So, you know, of that 98%, um, I would say that um, probably, um, you know, close to... 50 of that is is degree qualified as well. So, you know, we're seeing BCOs turn up here. We've got, you know, Bachelor of Building Science and Bachelor of Architecture and what have you, you know. Um, I look look back at my day when you had Bachelor of Bugger All. Um, You know, so it's it's a changing environment. But, um, yeah, being able to recruit people that way um, and, and the way we've done that is probably not desperation recruit, we've been able to, you know, put ads up and as, as people come in take the right ones. Yeah.
1: And how do you maintain the level of knowledge in your team, I mean you've got a, a, you know, a significant number of people in your team, 135 and then another 40 that you're responsible for, so what percentage of the week would you allocate to training?
2: Um, Professional development is, is is a weekly, is a weekly um, um, discipline. You, but it, it depends how you how you break it down. You know, so like um, we've looked at our technical leadership and tried to have the right people in the right places um, with the right skills. And it's not just about having the right smarts; it's about them being able to get the message across. It's also using the seniors in our team so the the seniors do the day to day support and mentoring if you like of um, of of staff and so people always got someone to go to you know like for me it's not about um, you know do you know the answer to that it's got to be about who can I go to next
1: so do you have a formal mentor-mentee relationship or, or and do you actually buddy people up and then they yeah. can switch?
2: Yeah, yeah. We, we, we buddy, and depending on what team they're what team in um, and what, what seniors they're, they're working with. But um, generally the, um, the, they'll get allocated a senior who mentors and looks after them and that's their immediate go-to. Um, if there's a higher level, then they default to uh, certain uh, technical leaders Um, And and do
1: you yourself have a mentor that you, uh, you know, check in with?
2: Not for technical stuff. Um, I try and stay away from it. Um, I suppose my technical knowledge um, has has faded as, um, you know, you you spend your life dealing with uh, other issues now are more important. for me, um, to to get things done right here, it's about making sure that... um, I take care of people in my charge, not be in charge, if you like. So that's sort of you know a um, a leadership style that I've tried tried to adopt, um, but it's one you've got to keep practicing all the time. You know, I mean, le- leadership for me, uh, I, I've always been a bit of a late developer, I think, a late learner, um, and um, you know, I didn't. I didn't realise that, you know, the answer to pi was 3.1215926 until I was actually 30. Most of the other people learned that at school, I was too busy thinking about um, footy at school. So I, I learned a lot about maths when I was 30 because I went and got a maths tutor. I wasn't happy with not knowing a lot of stuff, particularly at snow calculations, believe mm-hmm. it or not, so I wouldn't have able to check those. Um, and. For me, those skills, there, there's some foundation skills in terms of reading the Building Act and being satisfied on reasonable grounds and, and, and some of the you know landmark legal cases or legal decisions we've seen uh, uh, stick with you. There's no doubt about that. But um, you know when I watch um, people deal with um, E2 now, it's interesting. I mean, I, I probably don't really know the acceptable solution. Um, all I know is that I've built buildings on the West Coast that don't leak. And they get tested every day, a lot of the times. Um, so, so I'm not in the best position to 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 be that mentor, but making sure that people have what they have what they need. So, my role is to make sure that the best technical leadership we can get and the best mentors we can get are in place to, mm. and the best system that people know they can go to for uh, questions and for help and for. Whatever they need—that—that—that's um—that—that's my 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 primary role as as I see it um and and, and obviously to support the council and, and some strategic um, stuff. So the the, the chief executive office at the mayor's office, um, particularly with the focus on earthquake-prone building provisions here, um, always uh, are dealing with issues that crop up. So you know having that sort of understanding and that's more of a legislative understanding than, than what what do we do next or what can we do next um, uh, is probably more more my focus and also pushing change so those you know when you've got for me I think we've got fantastic technical leadership here um, the best some of the best I've seen around the country and I've been fortunate enough to poke my nose into a few councils and see, what, see what's behind the Front counter, and yeah, really happy with with the technical uh, skill set of the people here, and that, that's reinforced by a lot of the compliments we get from people that we deal with who you know work around New Zealand. Um, they often will come to us saying, "How come someone else can't see it this way, or, or what have you?" But we we're fortunate because we we get tested a lot, so you become robust and, and streamlined at. Developing those those technical views and what have you, but yeah, pr- pretty pretty well endowed with that technical ability. It's just we just got to make sure it's in the right place at the right time. Yeah.
1: So in terms of um, technical issues, I'm interested because I know one of your passions is producer statements. Having spoken to you over the years about the lack of a New Zealand register, could we get a New Zealand register? Do we want a New Zealand register? What? Uh, your current thinkings on producer statements?
2: Well, I, I was flabbergasted that what I see is probably one of the most critical construction uh, documents in, in, the, in the industry it has absolutely no regulation around it. I, I'm flabbergasted. I mean, you've mentioned it more than anything. You haven't even mentioned the building code today. You've talked about producer statements and people signing stuff and. I get that. I, I just think um, the government has the, its head firmly in the sand when it comes to produce statements and their effect on the construction sector. Um, we've written to the minister saying that we think they should be put back in the legislation. The minister's responded saying, no, we think councils rely on them too much. Um, I would love to see the government's response if councillors said, right, we, don't, we won't rely on them anymore. What's the consequences of not relying on them? Mm. And it would bring the industry to a standstill, it would bring the compliance industry to a standstill or it would be unaffordable to justify how something complies. So um, yeah, that I find um, disappointing mm. that um, the government can't um, can't see that.
1: So you know the th- the thing I love about you, Buster, though, is you don't give up. That you have a boundless amounts of energy. Uh, you are inspiring. You're motivating, and you are now you know leading one of the uh, significant teams in New Zealand of building consent um, BCOs. I'm interested. I'm going to wrap this up because we have we could talk forever, but I'm going to cut to a few things outside work. And you know, how do you stay so well rounded and balanced? So, what do you do outside work as part of your wellness program?
2: Um, I think part of being a um, slow slow learner is that um, I, I get to watch a lot of other people make mistakes. Um, I learned how to self reflect. Um, in, the, in the last decade or so, and I think that happened precisely at the right time for me. Um, and I've also been, you know, given some opportunity to to meet some people who have contributed significantly to my well being. You know, people like um, you know, talking with Gilbert Anoka, for example, um, and uh, uh, another another. Um, some others who have been in that spot um, have been great help for me to, to make sure that you know um, you know just to be where your feet are you know um, it's all well and good looking ahead it doesn't pay to get too wound up about things I, I suppose also as you get a bit older you do try and get a wee bit wiser I, I think that I'm still passionate about things but probably try and be a wee bit smarter how I go about them Um but also, you know, being able to switch off sometimes. You know, like um, I've got a big family. You know, so um, Kieran and I have six kids, so that keeps us pretty busy. Um, you know, we have we, you have to focus on making sure that every one of those people have the things that they need to get on in life and and, and, and what have you. Um, so it's not easy. It's not hard for me to walk out of the building, switch off deal with some other things. Um, I do have great support at home, so that's, um, you know, uh, ha- having a, a, a partner who works at a higher level than me provides me with good balance and good perspective. Um, keeping things in perspective is pretty critical as well. Um, but I think, you know, uh, um, working with capable people, and um, and I pride myself on my networking across New Zealand. I'm really lucky that I can phone people up in Auckland or Whangarei or, you know, Hokitika, um, Timaru, Dunedin, and have a chat about how they're seeing mm-hmm. things go and, what, you know, what they're doing, I think, really helps helps me. And and, um, and I'm not shy to do that, you know. Um, I, I talk to, yeah, you know... Well,
1: I'm, I'm sure as well as talking, you're also a good listener and as much as you get I'm sure that you give Buster and um, uh, you know on that note if you were to invite some people to dinner who might they be?
2: (laughs) So you you had asked me that question in an email and I thought to myself um, so the first thing is um, all of these people have to be alive is one of the rules I put down otherwise I would have put some people who were not alive. Um, but um, look, Kenny Dalglish would be first on my list. You know, um, uh, I've been supporting Liverpool FC since I was eleven, and Dalglish is, you know, just a a master player, but a great leader. Um, you know, if you, I, I watched him closely after the Hillsborough disaster, and the way that man, you know, cared for, uh, you know, 96 families who lost people that that football game. For me, is phenomenal, and that that really epitomised to me is that um, you know leadership is often about the things you do when no one's watching, and that's him to a T, and that's what I learned from that event. Um, Bono would be one guy, and I did think Bono, Mick Jagger, sort of I wanted to have someone who was like you know they're incredibly resilient, but also you know really um, artistic. And, you know, I suppose Bono's pretty outspoken. Mick Jagger's pretty outspoken as well, but just that Irish connection for me, Bono's, um, probably made a wee bit more difference. Um, my, um, uh, my partner, Kieran, uh, she'd have to be there. Um, and also, um, of recent, um, Dr. Kerry Evans, an- another footballer, he's all white. Um, who played in, in, in the English football leagues when I was um, uh, um, in England, I, I would add, and um, has, has also, you know, become a bit of a, a strategist in, uh, a, around, you know, the power of the mind, um, the power of being resilient, and particularly the for me, because um, I'm just reading this book at the moment, the power of the red and blue parts of your mind in the top two inches It's that top two inches for me that is fascinating, yeah. What you do under pressure is um, quite critical. So, you know, um, that for me is the business I'm exploring at the moment. I, I like to see, you know, how people at work perform under pressure, the decisions they make under pressure. We don't practice it much. Most people at the council will get to do the thing under pressure when they're actually under pressure. And I'd like to think, how do we create that pressure in a practice scenario so they can try making those decisions at that time and test themselves? To me, that would be a good learning thing going forward rather than actually waiting for the real thing and maybe not getting the right decision. That's right.
1: It's the surprises in our life that creates the pressure. And um, you know, speaking of a surprise, and just as my last question to you, uh, by the way you've been an absolute pleasure to talk to and as I said we could talk for such a long time um, I'm not sure if everyone will keep kind of listening as podcasts I suppose we try to keep them about 40 minutes I'm interested in a surprise that you recently had which is going to lead to an event in February 2021.
2: Um, yeah um, interesting um, the um, interesting for me the Um, I've always considered myself a bit of a master of trivia, but on the 29th of February, my partner proposed to me and said to me, "Um, do you know what a woman can do on the 29th of February she can't do it any other day? And I didn't know the answer to this question. And she said, well, she can propose to a man. I said, no, I never knew that. And left it at that, and she sort of looked at me and said, well, how about (laughs) it then? So, yeah, we're getting married on the 27th of February next year, which is good because we've given ourselves... Hopefully plenty of time to get rid of the maximum number of people. Um, although I'd have been pretty happy to have it at 10 because that would make it a hell of a lot cheaper. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, really looking forward to um, that event. And, yeah, we've done some good planning around making sure that we have a really nice, relaxed time for our friends and family and ourselves. So, yeah. Beautiful. Not, not a lot of formality. It'll be at home in the garden we've built
1: beautiful i yes. wish you well congratulations thank you so much for being a guest on our rice spear podcast travel well